Good morning. It's about time for us to begin. If you find a place to sit, we will. Psalm 122, verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Um, are you happy to be here this morning? You don't have to answer that. Uh, did you look forward to coming and worshiping uh, this morning? A lot of times our perspective and our attitude toward something can affect the outcome or the benefit of that. So we hope everyone uh, who is here this morning has come with the appropriate attitude that we come to worship God in spirit and in truth and to gain strength from one another and from him from having been here. If you are a visitor this morning. We're very happy to have you here. We're happy to have everyone, but our visitors especially. And if you have not taken the time to fill out a, a visitor's card in front of you, please do so and just hand that to someone near you and they can uh, get that to the appropriate person. So we'll have a record uh, of your visit. Our order of worship uh, today, John Kelly uh, will be leading singing in the first song be number 624. Dwight Dunford will have the reading and the prayer at appropriate time. Joe Galloway will be handling uh, the Lord's table. And Blake Trevathan will have our closing prayer. And Chris um, will be preaching this morning. I might mention uh, that Life Group 2 uh, did not get it in the bulletin, but they will be meeting today after worship. If you don't have a Life Group yet and uh, been attending here for a while or place membership, be happy to have you come today, or if you're just visiting today, I believe there will be enough food. We meet in the uh, fellowship hall uh, right after services. Let's bow for a word of prayer before we uh, enter our worship. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the, the privilege and the honor uh, that we have to come here this morning and, and worship you. We pray, Father, that we have come with the appropriate attitude that we love you and we want to give you all the praise and glory and honor that we can muster in this effort. We pray, Father, that as we sing these songs that we will take the words to heart, that we will mean them, and that we will strive to uh, and endeavor to follow those words of encouragement and uh, praise to you. We thank you, Father, for this congregation that we are able to meet here and assemble in this way on a regular basis without fear of interference or outside influences that many are around the world are still suffering under. We pray, Father, that we will always love you and will always serve you should those times ever come to us. We pray, Father, that you will be with us as we enter into our worship. Help us to serve you in our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Again, first in this morning, <clears throat> number 624, the church's one foundation. The church's one
Next hymn this morning, number 707, To Christ Be Loyal. <clears throat> After this hymn, Brother Dwight Dunford will have our scripture in prayer. To Christ be scripture reading that Chris has chosen today is found in Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you, you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land and you shall consecrate in the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. 
It shall be, <clears throat> excuse me, it shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his prop property and each of you shall return to his clan. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful this day, Lord, that, that we can come together and, and worship you in truth and in spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings you have bestowed upon each of us. Lord, we, we're grateful, Lord, that you look down upon us and, and give us mercy. We, th we think right now, Lord, upon those that are sick and on our, our list of, that we are praying for, Lord, each, each and every name that, that is on, on our list and on our hearts and minds. We ask you, Lord, to touch them and be with them. We also think of the ones recently, Lord, that have lost loved ones that were mentioned in our class this morning and, and others, Lord, that have lost loved ones. We ask, Lord, that you be with them and comfort them and help them, Lord, through the times that, that they experience this loss. We ask you, Lord, that you be with us in this service today as we surround the Lord's table and as Chris delivers the message. Lord, we ask you to keep our hearts and minds focused on the things, Lord, that we should be thinking of and thinking of Christ, our Savior, and the sacrifice he made for us. Once again, Lord, we ask you to be with us in this service and help us, Lord, to go, go throughout the, our daily lives to proclaim your love and your promises and help others, Lord, that may not know you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 769, Why Should He Love Me So, 769. Why 
As I was driving here this morning, I came in a little early, and passing by house after house after house with cars in the driveway and no lights on whatsoever in the house, knowing that nobody was up, and it hit me. Why, where are these people, why don't they weren't they getting up and getting ready for church? And it, it bothered me. And I'm not a person who has any right at all to look down their nose at anyone. But I understand the problem. But I want to tell you one thing for sure that why we're here and what we're doing now. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 53. This is something you've all heard before, but I want to bring out a point and a thread that goes from here to us today. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb is led to slaughter and like a sheep that's silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due? Who considered that he died? That he was cut off? This is no ordinary man. This is the son of God. Who considered or did I lay asleep in the bed? when I should be honoring him. Go with me now to the next probably most famous scripture concerning the communion. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of our Lord until he comes. That's what we're here for. Those people that are laying there still asleep who know nothing about God or Jesus and care nothing about him, they see us as we make an effort to come and do what we need to do, what we want to do, and what we are going to do. We're going to honor our God. We're going to honor Jesus. We're going to remember him and what he's done for us. They may have no other way ever of seeing what God means and what Jesus has done. But we are providing that example in this feast. Bow with me, please. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here to remember your son, remember the death that he went through, the suffering. Father, remember the pain and the humiliation. Father, remember the love that he showed us by going through that and the father the love that you had by allowing that to happen thank you as we partake of this bread help us to remember his death in his name we pray amen
Go with me in prayer, please, again. Father in heaven, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus, our Savior, and your beloved Son. Father, we know that without that blood, we would have no forgiveness of sin. And we know that he was the perfect sacrifice, and we appreciate what he and you together have done for us. Father, be with us and bless us as we partake of this fruit of the vine. Help us to remember the shed blood of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. We are at the conclusion of the communion service, but still have a responsibility of providing the gospel to
to our area and to the world. We do that partly through individual efforts, but we also do it collectively with the monies that are gathered that we contribute to the church here, that we might help to spread your word, spread God's word. Consider how you give. Consider that it is supposed to be a sacrifice. It's not supposed to be something that's just convenient. Go to God with me, please, as we pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon our contribution. We ask your blessing upon the elders here that use that to spread your word in this area and to pay the bills of our organization, Father, to be a light in this community. Help us, Father, in our love for you to give as we have been prospered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 711, True Hearted, Wholehearted, 711. It's at this time that the young children from two to five years old, they go to the children's Bible hour.
Invitation hymn for this morning, number 740. What will you do with Jesus? 740. Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to be back with you uh, this morning. Good to see each one of you this morning. We, uh, Many of us have just returned from camp, uh, including me. So uh, we are uh, tired, but it's a good tired. Uh, so... We're grateful to be back with you uh, this morning. We're in Acts chapter 16 this morning, uh, so you're going to get to experience Paul's second missionary journey this morning. So he has uh, concluded the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 15. He and uh, Barnabas want to get together again and go visit the places that they had visited on their first missionary journey. Barnabas, of course, wants to take with them John Mark. Paul does not want to take John Mark, and so they split. Now they're, they're well underway. They have, uh, Paul and Silas uh, have been making their way back towards and back through the congregations that they founded on this first missionary journey. Barnabas and John Mark have made a separate, completely separate missionary team, and they're headed toward the island of Cyprus. And they're lost to us from history. Uh, from here on out, they, they pop back up later on uh, in, uh, in the first century, and they're useful for ministry, and they're doing incredible things for the kingdom. But Luke follows Paul and Silas, and he's going to follow them uh, all the way through that, that section uh, of, of the country. They're going to go back through Galatia, Galatia and Cilicia and uh, that whole area on the map. They're going to walk back through all those congregations and all that area that they, uh, that they covered on the first missionary journey, plus some. They're going to fill in all the gaps that, that, uh, that they had on the first missionary journey. They want to go, I think, to Ephesus. They want to go to Asia Minor at least. Uh, but the Spirit of Jesus doesn't let them go to Asia Minor. He doesn't let them go to Ephesus. Uh, then they think, well, let's go, let's go north. And he doesn't let them go north either. So they can't go south. They can't go north. They've just come from the east, and they're headed toward the west, but there's nothing, apparently, that Paul has in mind for the west. 
the evangelistic efforts he had in mind was just let's revisit the places that we had we had gone on the first missionary journey, and so that's what he had intended. But the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus, this this, this same entity, the, the Holy Spirit, um, doesn't want that. He has bigger plans for for Paul and Silas, and so he sends them towards Philippi. Today you're going to get to meet the Philippian congregation. We know several of those people from, from, from Scripture. We can, we can identify them. We know their names. Uh, and Paul wrote a book to the church at Philippi. And so we know Iodians, Nectiki. We know Clement uh, is in this congregation. We know several from the book of Philippians that are in this congregation in Philippi. He also, Luke does, records for us the founding of this congregation. So we, today we get to meet Lydia. And you get to meet a, a man who we don't know his name. He's simply titled the Philippian Jailer. Um, but these people are going to become the foundation of the church that is Paul calls his crown and his joy. A church he is so ridiculously proud of because of their incredible faith and their very good works. That start right after he leaves them here. Uh, they're going to send him money uh, when he gets in Thessalonica, the next city that we're going to talk about next week, when he gets there, the Philippians, just months old themselves, just this, this brand new church. They've, they've, only, they've only been Christians for a very short period of time, but they've already bought wholesale into God's vision for the church and his vision for the world in this place, and they want to help. And Paul commends them for their desire to help. He's proud of them for their desire to help. And so we get to meet them today, but this, this starts a new series we're calling Upside Down. As we walk through the book of Acts this year, uh, we're kind of breaking it out into different pieces. And so today we're starting a new series, Upside Down, where we get to meet each one of the congregations that Paul founds on the second missionary journey. And what's so interesting is you get to see how the gospel interacts with people. It flips everything upside down. Well, maybe not upside down. Maybe it helps us see how everything should have always been in the first place, right? Because our world's the one that's upside down. We're the ones who look at things backwards, and, and they were looking at things backwards, but the church, the kingdom, flips it right side up, I suppose, uh, the way that God has always intended it to be the way that it was in the garden, the way that it will be in heaven, you get a glimmer of that in the church. And so it's a bit like looking at something upside down because we don't value the same things that the world values, do we? We don't prioritize the same ways that they prioritize. We're, we're different. We, we hold our possessions with an open hand. And that's really what we're talking about today. What do you hold on tightly to and what do you hold on to with an open hand? Because what we as the church, what we as God's people hold on to tightly is something completely different than what the world holds on to tightly. And what we hold as God's people with an open hand is completely different than what the world holds with an open hand. We get to experience that as we meet the church in Philippi today. And so be in Acts chapter 16. This is where we're going to spend our time this morning. I don't know if you've ever come across an anthill, especially when I was little. 
Um, we, like we said, we just came back from camp, and so you got to see this quite a bit at camp if you're paying attention. Um, but if, if you came across an anthill that had been kicked over, what are the ants doing? They're always they're scurrying around trying to get, trying to rebuild that colony, right? You'll see them carrying food or, or more pieces of dirt or something, and they're, they're rebuilding that colony that begins to feel kind of like what we do in the world. Um, we're scurrying around. There's an awful lot of activity because we're trying to keep what's ours or get what we want or both, right? When you kick over the ant mound, you're destroying what they had. And so when you do that, they fight to get what they want and to keep what they have, right? I don't know if you've ever flown in, a, in an airplane or not or across the city, but if you look down, we look an awful lot like, like ants, don't we? And I wonder if it's, we can't see ourselves in that mode all the time simply because we lack pers- perspective. I think that's how God sees us sometimes. Like ants running around trying to keep what's ours and or fighting to get what we want. In Acts chapter 16, you find the church, this brand new church, as the gospel interacts with these people who are holding on so tightly to, to this thing. It says, you got to let that go so you can hold on to this. You're making an exchange. Let's get into the text. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. You get to meet Lydia this morning. She is uh, from Thyatira, the place we talked about in our Bible class uh, lesson this morning. Um, But she is going to let go of something, and she's going to hold on tight to something else. Pay, Pay attention to what she's holding on to and what she's letting go of as we walk through the text this morning. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. So, this is the beginning of Paul's trip. He, they're, they're kind of right in the middle, actually, uh, of the second missionary journey. They've already covered all the congregations that they've covered in the first missionary journey, and now they're looking to go somewhere new. They're looking to go somewhere new because the vision, right? God has sent Paul a vision in the middle of the night, and it's a, it's a Macedonian soldier pleading with him to come over and tell them about Jesus. And so now they're headed over to Philippi to meet uh, with the people there. They finally make it there. They spend several days there. But Paul's normal M.O. is to find a synagogue. This city doesn't have a synagogue. They don't have enough Jewish people uh, to have a synagogue. And so he has to come up with plan B. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had, who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
So you finally get to meet Lydia, right? She is a female business owner in the first century. She has, just from the supposition here that I, I don't think is too far outside the realm of, of logic, she has a lot of tenacity. This is a smart lady. She doesn't have a whole lot of give up in her. She doesn't have any quit. I think that because she's a female business owner in the first century, right? She has overcome incredible odds against her to own this business. Um, not, not only that, she's a seller of purple things. Purple doesn't mean much to us today, right? You can go to Kohl's or Walmart and get a purple shirt or a purple dress or whatever. It's not all that hard. But back then, they struggled to get the dye to make it purple or red. That dye, at least a good portion of it, is grown and manufactured in, you guessed it, Thyatira. So she has come up with a business plan and is working it. Uh, she is all the way in uh, Philippi in Asia Minor. Um, she's traveled a little bit of ways to get here uh, and no doubt is attempting to sell uh, her purple cloth and, and purple things. Um, all that to say she has an awful lot to lose when she comes in contact with Paul. She apparently is probably not a Jew, but is a Gentile who has converted to Judaism. And so she knows about Yahweh. She's probably heard some of the stories uh, from the Old Testament. But when she comes in contact with Paul, she's going to hear the rest of the story, right? She's going to get a lot of the blanks filled in. She's going to hear what all the Old Testament was talking about. And his name was Jesus. And he came to save us from our sins. And Paul's going to work her through all those things. And so you need to hear that when she came in contact with Paul's message, this gospel, she has a decision to make. Am I going to hold on to my business and my priorities? What are her priorities? Just, just from a business standpoint, just stop for a second and put the text uh, here and, and stop and think with me just for a second. What would her priorities be. She's trying to keep what she's got and getting what she wants, right? Because that's really what we're all doing. We're trying to keep what we have and get what we want. And so we're left to assume that Lydia's very much like the rest of us. She's wanting, she wants to get what she wants, and she wants to keep what she has. And so she has quite a bit. She has a business, a good business. Not everybody's a seller of purple. Royalty is who buys these kinds of things. Purple cloth, purple things in her day do not come cheaply. And so she is in an upper echelon of society. She's not just some, some person who's... Um, just in, in the city, she's, she's a well-to-do, wealthy merchant. Her name means something. She's probably respected. People know her. She's the seller of purple, right? If you were to go to the marketplace and you say, hey, I'm looking for uh, some purple cloth. And, oh, you need to go see Lydia. She's, she sells the purple things. People would have known her just by, by reputation because of her business in this, in this city. People would have known her. She has a lot to lose. 
when she comes to the gospel. When she hears the gospel, she has a lot to lose when she comes to Christ. Look what she holds on to tightly and look what she holds with an open hand. Check out what he says in verse 15. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. You see what she did? She aligns herself with Paul. She gives her reputation, her good standing to Paul. And so when, because it's, it's a when, not an if, when his message, when Jesus' message gets Paul in trouble, what's going to happen to Lydia? Paul gets to leave. Lydia doesn't. She stays. She's in the congregation of Philippi just along with all the other Philippians. She's in danger because of this message. And she has aligned herself happily with Paul because of this. Whatever they say about Paul, that's what they're going to say about Lydia too. She's in line with them. She's given up. She's holding her, her reputation, her business model, her priorities, all this stuff that she's worked on all of her life up until this point. She's holding that stuff with an open hand now. You want it? You can have it. That's fine. All these things that I've worked on, all these things that I've focused on, if it can be of use in the kingdom, you can have it. Look what she's holding on tightly with. Look what she's holding on tightly to. I didn't read this last little phrase in verse 15, but I think it's important. So you need to underline it. And she prevailed upon us. She wanted the church to meet in her house. I don't know why. Maybe, apparently from, from Luke's record, she's the first convert, and she sees, I'm sure, some usefulness of her house in the kingdom. Church has to have a place to meet, right? They can't just be meeting down by the river. I suppose they could, but her house would probably be a much more centrally located area, maybe more comfortable area for some of the people uh, to, to meet there. And so she offers it, not just once, not just twice. She prevailed upon them. This is a constant thing. She, she, she wouldn't take no for an answer. She's holding on tightly to Jesus, right? She's holding on tightly to the kingdom. But all the stuff that she's worked on up until this point in her life, she's holding with an open hand. If you want it, you can have it. You want my reputation? That's fine. That's good. You, you can have it. And in fact, if it can be useful to Paul in, this, in the kingdom work, please, please take it. If I'm well respected and I can help you get into places where you can talk to people about Jesus, if my reputation can leverage that for you, let, let's do that. But I'm not going to let go of Jesus for anything. You're going to see that again. This is a, 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 a model that you come across in, in Acts chapter 16. It's not just Lydia. What happens next? Starting in verse 16, Paul and Silas are going to find their way, in, their way into prison. Right? Remember I said it's not if, but when Jesus' message gets them in trouble, gets them hurt. Uh, that, that's, that's coming now. So they are walking around the city, and they come in contact with this little girl. We don't know how old she is specifically, but she says, the text says she's young. And so she is possessed by a demon. This demon's thing is not 
power like what you would find in Mark 4 with Legion. Uh, nobody could tie him down or anything like that. He has this incredible power. Uh, this demon's thing is, is fortune-telling. Apparently, this thing can, can read the future, uh, or at least is pretending to read the future, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if this power is actual real, actually real or, or if it's just a, a trick, you know, kind of like it would be today. Um, but for how, how, whether it's real or not, people are paying her money, but they're not paying it to her. They're not paying it to the demon, the little girl. She has some... Caretakers is too kind of a word. She has some people who have enslaved her, um, and they are making money off this little girl's pain. Anytime you're possessed by a demon, it's, there's pain, right? And they're making money off of her bondage to the demon. Eventually, Paul uh, will... A text says, uh, I think he says that he becomes greatly annoyed with, uh, with her because she won't stop saying that these are uh, teachers of Jesus, that, that, that they're proclaiming the kingdom. She, she's following, following them around, uh, saying these things, and it's not the, the one that Paul wants. This demon is not the one that Paul wants saying that. Uh, and so uh, he, he casts out the demon from this little girl. Jesus has a way of breaking bondage, doesn't he? He has a way of breaking bondage for you and me. And you see it here again in Acts 16, where he breaks bondage for this little girl. I had Dwight read the year of Jubilee text in Leviticus. You don't often hear texts from Leviticus, right? Uh, maybe we need to more, but... In Leviticus 25, you hear about this rule that God has set up in the Old Testament. It's called the year of Jubilee. Every 49 years, all of your debt, you, you don't have a mortgage anymore. On the 50th year, all of that would be forgiven. Your student loans, those things are all gone. All the debt that you had, uh, that you would paid for, uh, for your, uh, to your neighbor, all of that's gone. If your land had been confiscated because you couldn't pay your debts anymore, your land is returned to you. Uh, so that you, your children and your grandchildren can inherit that section of the promised land. Um, all those debts are forgiven. You're, you're set free. The bondage is, is gone. God has a, has a love of setting people free. He always has. And the year of Jubilee is just one small example of it. But here in Acts chapter 16, we, we find him setting this little girl free from the oppression uh, of the demon possession. When that happens, her masters, the slave owners, don't like it very much. And so they take Paul, because he's taken their money away from them, uh, their, their prosperity. Notice what they're holding on tight to. What are her owners holding on tight to? The money, right? The money. They're holding on tight to the money, the prosperity, um, the, uh, the reputation that she has afforded them. They're holding on tight to that. They're holding on loosely to the gospel. And we know that because they drag Paul and Silas into, before the magistrates. Uh, they rip their clothes. They beat them with rods. The Jewish um, system said that you could only be beat 39 times. Uh, if you were to uh, fall, uh, 
into Jewish hands like the high priest and those guys and they were to discipline you, they could only hit you 39 times. They couldn't hit you 40. So there's an end. That's not true with the Romans. They don't care if they kill you. Uh, they would be uh, absolutely fine if this beating murdered Paul and Silas. And so we don't know how many times they're beaten, but we do know that they were beaten with rods. Luke says many times. So I tend to believe more than 39. This would have been quite the beating. Um, and so then they're thrown into prison, right? And so these guys, these, these demon-possessed, uh, the, the, the owners, the slave owners of this demon-possessed little girl are holding on with a loose hand to the gospel, to truth. If you want it, you take it, because I don't want it. That's what they're saying by their actions, right? They have to say it with their words. Their words or their actions spoke louder than any words could have ever spoken. But they're holding on tightly to their prosperity, their reputation, the accolades that this little girl's fortune-telling had gotten them. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? It's ants running around trying to keep what's theirs and get what they want. Right? That's us. A lot of times that's us. And that's the way the world functions. I don't want truth. Right? Uh, This, I can take it or leave it. I I hold it with an open hand. I I don't really want it. I don't want to change my life. I don't want to be told I'm wrong. I I don't want it. But I'll tell you what I do want. I do want prosperity. I do want a good reputation. I do want... All these things, the world has flipped its upside down. It's, it's inverted of the way it should be. We should be holding on tightly to gospel, to truth, to the kingdom, to Jesus, right? And holding everything else. Anything else that fits into the category of anything else. We should be holding on to that with a loose hand. The world's got it exactly backwards. You're going to meet a Philippian jailer in just a second, though. In his world, like Lydia's, gets turned upside down as he meets the gospel. You meet him in verse 25. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, he says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's amazing in and of itself, right? In just a second, Paul's going to push the prisoners even farther uh, than, than just listening to their singing. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So everyone left, right? That's what you would expect. All the prisoners fled, right? Well, see, the problem with that idea is that would mean that Paul would be holding on to this life with a closed hand, and the gospel with an open hand. But that's not how it functions, is it? He stays. If you look in the rest of this passage, he stays because he's holding his life, his pain, all the things he's holding with an open hand so that he can hold on tightly to Christ because nothing else matters. You see how the gospel's flipping the world upside down? Later in Ephesus... When uh, we meet the Ephesian congregation, you're going to get you're going to get to hear them say uh, some of the people who are pushing back against Paul uh, and Silas and, and Jesus' message. You're going to get to hear them say, "This man has turned the whole world upside down with his teaching," and he is. 
because Jesus changes everything. He's trying to bring us back to the way that we should have always been. He's trying to help us prioritize the way we should have always prioritized. He's trying to help us hold on tightly to the things that matter, kingdom, truth, gospel, and let go of the things that never did. The Philippian jailer is going to get his world flipped upside down and his priorities are going to completely change. Watch it in verse 27. Acts 16, verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why in the world would this guy do that, right? His first reaction, once he notices that the doors are open, I guess his house is probably, he's probably most likely not asleep inside the prison. He's probably asleep in the, the, the gatehouse right outside the prison. And so he wakes up, the earthquake wakes him up, and he comes into the, the prison and he sees, I guess those, those first doors are open and he's, he's, he's ready to kill himself. But I wonder why it's so fast. Why is that his, his initial reaction? Because he's got something that he's holding on tight to. And he would rather die than lose that thing. You see it? So whatever he's holding on so tightly to, he would rather die than lose it. So what is that thing? I think it's honor. I think this guy's honor bound. And he has not done his job. He's going to die anyhow. That, that's a foregone conclusion. If a Roman soldier, a Roman prisoner loses, or if a Roman guard loses his prisoners, he's dead. This guy has the opportunity to do it himself. To maintain what of his honor can be maintained. He's lost so much of it already. But maybe if he can do this, if he can take his own life, maybe... Maybe some of his family will get to maintain their honor. It's a, you see how it's, everything's just inverted. When we think like the world thinks, nothing makes sense, does it? He's holding on so tight to this honor that he'd rather die than let it go. Paul is on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. He would rather let go of his life so that someone else can hold on tight to Jesus and the kingdom and the gospel and the truth. And so he stays in prison because he doesn't care whether they beat him again. He doesn't care if they kill him because they can't kill his soul. It's all in what you are willing to let go of, and what you're holding on tight to. So check it out. What's the Philippian jailer? What happens with the rest of his story? Verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice. You can almost hear him saying, Whoa, 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 whoa! You know? Loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Somehow he talked the rest of the prisoners into staying. Verse 29. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? You get to read the rest of his story, and it's actually uh, pretty long uh, there. Going through verse 40. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of that. But what I want you to see is he was 
in, the, in this moment, in this moment, he let go of that honor, of, that, of his reputation. In that moment, he figured out that none of that mattered. All that mattered was holding on to Jesus. All that mattered was holding on to truth. It's awfully hard to hold on to two things at once, isn't it? This guy on the screen behind me, what if he, what if there were a million dollars floating down, somebody on top 300 feet up, looks down, sees this guy, and they throw a million dollars down. They throw $30 million down. They throw $100 million down. What's this guy going to do? If he's smart, he just hangs on, right? Because the money's not going to be able to save you. We get it when it looks like this. We struggle when it looks more like this and like it does in Acts chapter 16. Paul didn't struggle at all. He saw right through the facade. Reputation, money, power, all this stuff that Lydia had beforehand, that the flipping jailer had beforehand, they were happy to let go of it so that they could hold on tight to Jesus. It's Jesus' words from Matthew 6. You can't love both God and money. You can't hold on tight to these two things. In fact, you can't hold on tight to anything and Jesus. It's not how it works. He demands devotion. He demands 100%. You can't, you can't hold on to something and him. It doesn't work. So we're going to have to learn, if we want to be unstoppable, if we want to look at the world the way that Jesus looks at the world, if we want to be upside down or right side up, however you want to look at it, we're going to have to learn to hold everything else with an open hand. And hold on to him with everything we've got. That's what you see uh, Lydia doing here. Everything else is rubbish. Paul would say that in Philippians 38. Everything else is trash. But he, Jesus, the gospel truth, is worth holding on to with everything I've got. And so when people say, if you don't let go of him, I'm going to kill you. Paul would say, fine. That's a deal because it's better for me to die and go be with Christ than it is to live here. I'm holding my life. I'm holding my reputation. I'm holding my money. I'm holding everything with an open hand. You want it, take it. But I'm holding on to him so tightly and I'm not letting go for anything. There's, a, there's an old saying Something goes something like this. You're no fool to give up that which you're going to lose to keep that which can't be taken away from you. You're going to lose your life anyhow. Unless Jesus comes back, you're going to die. Newsflash, right? You're also going to pay taxes next year. right? Those are the two things you can count on, taxes and death. And so those, that's going to happen. You're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back, you're going to die he says, it would be the greatest foolishness for us to hold on tightly to this thing that we're going to lose anyhow when we could 
grab a hold of Jesus and then nobody can take him away from us. That's a good trade. We need to rework our, our minds, rewire our minds so that we can see that that's a good trade. So that I hold on tight to him with everything I've got. So I don't fall for any silly stuff like somebody trying to throw money or reputation or whatever. <coughs> and allow those things to distract me from what I'm really holding on tight to. This morning, if you're not holding on tight to Christ, there's no reason why today can't be the first day where your life changes just like Lydia's did, just like the Philippians jailers did. If you're willing to let go of everything else and hold on tight to Him, tight to Him, to have your sins washed away through the power of baptism, you start a brand new life, one that's wholly focused on Him. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you're struggling and you need the prayers of this congregation to be encouraged um, by us and to, 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 to gain strength um, from us. That's something we can do. That's something that we would love to do. Allow us that opportunity if we can this morning to pray with you and for you. That You can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Jesus is standing in pine of Paul, Brimless, forsaken, betrayed by all, For to draw the ever-sounding call, What will you do when Jesus comes? What will you do when Jesus, my friend, Do for you church family. It is so, I'm so glad to be back from Fort Hill. Best part is being in my bed. That was, that was nice being back in my bed from Fort Hill, but it was a great week at camp. We had six kids added to God's kingdom while we were there, so that's such a blessing. 
Um, that's the reason why we're there is to tell the kids the, the gospel and and to um, and lift them up spiritually. And uh, one of our own from Rome, Trenton, was baptized uh, at Fort Hill as well. So that's great news. Uh, so welcome that new brother in Christ with a hug around his neck. I know he'd greatly appreciate that and uh, congratulate uh, uh, the Egner family. Um, also, uh, Camper of the Week. Camper of the Week at Fort Hill is a, a special thing where all the counselors and the staff uh, get together and find Christ uh, in, these kit, in, in these kids. You know, who is going above and beyond um, on helping someone else out. Maybe it, it's Bible work, maybe it's just helping them uh, in any way they can, um, but they look for Christ in these kids. And um, uh, Evan Williams was nominated, and Thomas uh, Trevathan um, was also uh, Thomas won uh, Camper of the Week. So that says a lot for our kids here at Rome. I'm so proud of all our kids at Rome. And um, this says a lot about uh, the kids and the parents as well, and you as a church family uh, on the influence you have on these kids. So that's great news. Updates on our, uh, on our announcements. Um, we have a lot going on with youth this week uh, on the 11th. The kids are going kayaking. On the 12th, there's a video scavenger hunt. And on July 15th, there's a water park. Um, so there's sign-up sheets on the foyer board. If you have a child planning on going to these events uh, this week, uh, please sign up uh, before you leave this, e this morning. Um, also, uh, all deacons, there's a deacons meeting on July 16th at 5 o'clock, so please add that to your calendars. Um, also, Young at Heart. And... I encourage you to come to Young at Heart. If, if, um, we don't care how old you are, do we? The ones who go, we, we don't care. We'd love to have you come along with us. We have a small devotional, and it's just a great time to fellowship with one another. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. We're heading to China One and Gallipolis. Um, but uh, we'll meet here at the church at uh, 1030. So, um, and that's on July 18th. And also, um, if you have, a, if you're wanting to go on to Beckley mission trip, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board for that as well, and that's for July 20th through the 23rd. Um, so, if you're wanting to go to that, please sign up uh, for that before you leave. Updates are on a prayer list. Remember to continue to keep the Carico family in your prayers. Uh, Darren has lost um, his cousin, uh, passed away uh, last week. So, keep the Carico family in your prayers. Also, keep the Hayes family in your prayers as well as Jean Hayes' sister passed away last week as well. So keep the Hayes family in your prayers. Um, Eloise Hayes' uh, sister uh, had a stroke and she's not doing well. So keep um, uh, Eloise Hayes' sister in your prayers at this time. And Terry Baker's mom had a stroke as well and keep her in your prayers as well. And also um, keep Linda Bragg Bell in your prayers at this time. She's a niece of uh, Hilda Stevens and a cousin of Jerry Stevens. Uh, they grew up members here at Rome, but they now live in Texas. Um, and she had a stroke as well, and things are not looking good for her as well. So keep, um, keep Linda uh, uh, Bragg Bell in your prayers as well. And keep Nathan Payne in your prayers. He's in Thailand right now um, for National Guard. Uh, so keep him in your prayers as well that... Uh, 
that he also makes it back to the state safely. That's all the announcements I have. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 738. We will glorify the King of Kings. We'll sing the first and third verse, and then Brother Blake Trevason will have a prayer. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord our Lord, who is the Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear God, we thank you for this day and just uh, everything you've given us, and we're thankful for Chris for giving us a lesson today, and uh, just help us keep what's really important important and what's not in the back of our minds, and uh, thank you for letting us all get here safely today and help us get home safely and help us take something that we learn here and apply it to our lives somehow and bring others to you, and we're just so thankful for a congregation like this where we can lean on each other and help us do so, and uh, most importantly, thank you for Jesus on the cross to forgive us of our sins, and thank you for all the blessings we have. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.